Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters Sports Bar will sponsor your next private event. Walters is located right across the street from the ballpark in Navy Yard. Register at waltersdc.com and click the Inquire Now button. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Maybe a little bit more steadily now. More umbrellas popping open. Swinging a fly ball. Left center field and deep. Newtbar going back. Still back. Way back. And it's gone. Goodbye. Into the visitor's bullpen in left center field. A home run for C.J. Abrams. And he is two for two this afternoon. He gives the Nationals the lead here in the bottom of the fifth inning. It's Washington one and St. Louis nothing. Here's the set, runner goes, the pitch swung on, hit in the air to left center field, moving over is Garrett and back, he is there, the left fielder puts it away, a step or two for the warning track, and bang, Zuma, Curly W's in the books. And welcome to Nat Chat for Thursday, June 22nd, 2023. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for this installment of the pod, but I'm pleased to be joined by the man who runs the show, Tim Shovers, and I am pleased to say that we have a Nationals win to discuss. Yes, and actual real-life Nats victory to talk about. A 3-0 win over the St. Louis Cardinals on Wednesday to avoid a three-game sweep on what was an ugly, rainy, windy day at Nationals Park. It's a minor miracle that the game was not delayed at any point, but the game was not delayed at any point, and the Nats won just their fifth win over the last 21 games. The Nats improved to 28-45, second-worst record in the National League, but the Nats avoid the three-game sweep. Tim, how surprised are you that this game at no point was delayed and the game was not halted? I mean, it looked for a while like the game might be stopped, but no, the boys kept playing. There were about three instances where it looked like on television that there was no chance it could continue playing, and they played through it, and C.J. Abrams' uh, home run obviously was very well-timed, though they ended up playing the full nine innings. But yeah, if, if you watch this game, it was like, okay, it's going to come in the fifth, going to come in the sixth. But every time I checked the weather, it seemed like the harshest rain was only at about a half hour long or so, and they decided to fight through it, and then they patched it together in the ninth inning. But they sure picked a good day to have a quick game. Yes, for sure. And, you know, the Nats already have a makeup game scheduled for Thursday afternoon at 105 with the Arizona Diamondbacks to make up for the uh, poor air quality postponement. So you really got the feeling watching this game that the goal was just to get through it. Like just put your head down and plow forward. And the teams ended up doing that. You know, they got the game in. So good for them. And 
Good for the Nats winning this game. Very good pitching by the Nats on Wednesday. You know, it's funny. We in this series had Josiah Gray as the Nats starting pitcher in game one, Mackenzie Gore as the Nats starting pitcher in game two, and Trevor Williams as the Nats starting pitcher in game three. And it ends up being that Trevor Williams provides the best start by a Nat in this series. He and three relievers combined on a seven-hit shutout. You know, Williams was coming off maybe his worst outing of the season, the 6-5 loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park this past Friday night. Williams in that game, five runs in four into third innings. But Williams on Wednesday was good. Six scoreless innings. He had four strikeouts versus no walks. He gave up just five hits, a double, and four singles. And he threw a lot of strikes, 75 pitches, 50 strikes versus 25 balls. So a strikes-to-balls ratio of 2-to-1, terrific. Now, he got pulled after six scoreless innings and 75 pitches. We know the deal with Trevor Williams. He's a guy for whom the uh, third time through the order penalty is a concern. What'd you think about Davey pulling Trevor Williams after the 75 pitches? I did agree with it. I wanted to see Williams go to the seventh, but I understood why he wanted to get to Thompson. Thompson's been pitching well. He thought he could patch together the final nine outs or so, and they did just that. Williams did his job today. They needed six innings. I think it's really important that he didn't give you know four and change or five with this stretch with no off days. I thought that the full pitching game, it was well handled today. Yeah, I thought so too. Williams uh, pitched into the top of the seventh, gave up a leadoff single, and then got yanked. I understand the idea of, hey, the bullpen's been used a lot. The bullpen isn't that good. If a guy is going well, why do you yank him after 75 pitches? But a few things. Number one, the job of a manager always with a starting pitcher is to remove him from the game before he starts struggling, not after he starts struggling. Like, as a manager, what you want to do is try to time it out to where you get the guy out just as he's about to start to fall off. And of course, it's really difficult to time that. But if you could do that, you try to do that. And so the way to do it is not to wait until the guy starts reeling. It's to wait until the guy's going well and find an ideal moment at which, okay, let's get him out of here and on a high note if we can and get our bullpen in there. And that's what Davey did. The other thing is, as much as I preach this season isn't about wins and losses, I mean, <laughs> you know, this team needed a win in this game. I think that's safe to say. And especially off all of the bad feeling of the previous night, the ugly dugout exchange between Mackenzie Gore and Victor Robles, the sloppiness that has been on display for the Nats, you know, I, I think it's okay to say, hey, on this day on Wednesday, try to win the game. And so to get Trevor Williams out of there before he struggles, I think was just fine. So I didn't have a problem with that. Trevor Williams overall has done a good job here for the Nats. 15 starts, ERA of 414. That's not great, of course, but you know, to me, you can work with that. An ERA in the low fours. I mean, this is a guy who's on a two-year free agent contract, two years, $13 million. As a number three, number four starter, he has more than done his job so far this season. So I think it's going to be interesting, you know, the MLB trade deadline on August 1st. Is Trevor Williams a trade ship? I mean, to me, he should be. I don't know if the Nats are viewing him that way. Do you think that Trevor Williams should be a trade ship? Definitely. He might be their most valuable trade ship, all things considered. He can start for any team that needs a fifth starter or more. He could be a team's fourth or even third. And the pool of contenders, obviously, is more now in this world of six teams per league. So we have that many additional mediocre teams that are going to be playing valuable baseball in August and September. I think it's very worth considering. I know that this market has gotten stingier, but I think if Rizzo plays his cards right, and depending upon the competition, he can maybe get something for him. 
Something to me is pretty much always better than nothing. Williams is on a two-year contract, so it's not like you're at risk of losing him to free agency this offseason. So I guess in theory, you could say you could trade him next season. But if he's going well this season, don't wait for something to go wrong next season. If you can get something for him this season, do it. Remember, too, Trevor Williams has pitched as a reliever. So if he goes to a contender and isn't always starting for the contender, you would think he'd be more than okay with that. Uh, speaking of relief pitching, good job by the Nats bullpen on Wednesday. Three Nats relievers combined for three scoreless innings. We had Mason Thompson in the top of the seventh facing three batters and getting two outs. We had Kyle Finnegan tossing one and a third scoreless innings. He came into the game in a tough spot, top of the seventh, runners on second and third, two outs. The Nats nursing a 2 nothing lead, but Finnegan induced a ground out by Dylan Carlson for the third out, and then Finnegan tossed a scoreless top of the eighth, despite giving up a one-out single, followed by a one-out walk. And then Hunter Harvey tossed a scoreless top of the ninth. So, I guess what you would say are the three top relievers in this Nats bullpen, for whatever that's worth these days, uh, Hunter Harvey, Kyle Finnegan, Mason Thompson, all pitching on Wednesday and all getting the job done. A no drama game for the Nats bullpen. We have not said that often lately. No drama on paper, though. After that walk that Mason Thompson issued where ball four was very out of the zone and Jim Hickey came off the bench immediately, I I was wondering what sort of adventure we might have for us there, but then Finnegan came in and got the final out. Now with Carl Edwards Jr. hurt, this is the A bullpen, for better or for worse. This is it. So they had a chance for a victory today, and they stepped up, and they ended the five-game losing skit. And Tim mentioned the big news prior to the game from a Nationals bullpen perspective. Uh, The Nats have placed reliever Carl Edwards Jr. on the 15-day injured list retroactive to Tuesday with right shoulder inflammation. And the Nats have recalled lefty reliever Joe LaSorsa from AAA Rochester. So at last, there is a lefty in the Nats bullpen. This has been a big talking point these last few weeks. The Nats this season, either not having any lefty in the bullpen or having, say, an ineffective lefty, Anthony Banda, in the bullpen. So the Nats on June 8th announced that they had claimed LaSorsa off waivers from the Tampa Bay Rays and had optioned him to AAA Rochester. But it seemed from the get-go like LaSorsa's time at Rochester probably would not be long. And sure enough, he's already been summoned to the majors. This is only LaSorsa's age 25 season. You know, it's kind of a weird deal with what happened with him with the Rays. So LaSorsa in this regular season, made his Major League regular season debut. He totaled just two games, allowed one run in four and a third innings, and then the Rays designated LaSorsa for assignment on June 3rd. He seems to have been DFA'd by the Rays due to a roster crunch as opposed to him having been really bad. So you would think that there's some upside here. I mean, it's a little iffy just because the Rays are so smart. And so when they get rid of someone, you're always kind of like, okay, is there something really wrong with the guy that the Rays don't want him? But maybe it could be that the Rays just, you know, had enough good arms and, uh, you know, and ended up being that uh, they just did not have room for LaSource. So certainly worth a flyer. And it really has been remarkable, man. I mean, so much of this season has been spent without a lefty in the Nats bullpen. And, you know, it's one thing if you have righties who get both righties and lefties out, but there are some batters for whom the split is real. And, you know, those guys really do struggle against lefty relievers. And so to not have any lefty in the bullpen has been an issue. And perhaps that now has been solved. This is probably my favorite move by Mike Rizzo so far this season. Not that there's been that many. But yeah, roster crunch, take a flyer on a guy, see what you have, need a left-hander, 
to walk into your line of thinking, Al. If he's good for the next month, you know what that means at the end of July. So plenty of contending teams would need a viable left-hander. So if I'm a rebuilding team, I would just constantly be scouring the trash heap and see what you have there for exactly like guys like Alex Call. He was a roster crunch guy from Cleveland last year. Cleveland didn't want to get rid of him, and they wanted to see what they had in there. And I know right now it's at a low ebb, but overall, that was a good move picking up Alex Call. So I feel the same way about this pitcher. Yeah, and if you look at good bullpens, I mean, look at the Rays. You will find relievers who are acquired in this way, you know, guys who are obtained off waivers, you know, guys who are signed on the super cheap via free agency. Like, that's how you put together good bullpens. These relievers are fickle, they're year to year. And so the good organizations can find talent on waiver wires, find talent on the cheap and free agency, and turn those guys into good relievers. And yeah, heck yeah. If LaSorsa pitches well, why not flip them this season? That would be a great thing to see. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, Unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfis has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Hey, Nats Chat listeners, here to tell you about Bird Dogs, the world's most comfortable pants. Bird Dogs make you look good. Bird Dog shorts also do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better. They also fit better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restricting cotton. Go to birddogs.com slash pool and enter promo code pool that's spelled P-O-O-L for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash pool for a free Yeti style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. Pitch swung on a squibber up the first baseline. Going to stay fair. The run's going to score. Picked up by Goldschmidt. He tags Candelario going by for the out, but Candelario will pick up his second RBI of the game in 32nd of the year on a slow chop up the first baseline. It looked like it was going to go foul, and then it hit just inside the line and bounced to the left and stayed fair. Well, the Nats offense in this 3 nothing win over the Cardinals on Wednesday. All things considered, did a pretty good job. Now, the ultimate numbers were, you know, far from overwhelming. Three runs, just one walk, just one for five with runners in scoring position. But the Nats did total 10 hits. And 
The conditions were not ideal for anyone. Now, at times, the rain, I guess, did work in favor of the batters because it wasn't easy to field. But, I mean, this was not an ideal day on which to play the game of baseball. So that the Nats could put together 10 hits and put together a decent number of extra base hits, I thought was pretty good. It was really good to see C.J. Abrams have another good game in this series. We've talked about Abrams on the podcast. He came into this series reeling as a batter. And you certainly can't say that, like, you know, he's on track now or anything like that. But C.J. Abrams, ultimately, over these three games against the Cardinals at Nationals Park, six for nine with a solo homer, a double, a normal single, three infield singles, a walk, and a stolen base. He had a very productive series. Abrams, on Wednesday, three for three with a solo homer, and two infield singles. He, at the bottom of the third, had a one-out opposite field infield single to the left side of the infield. Abrams, in a one-run fifth, a two-out opposite field solo homer to left field for a one nothing Nats lead. And obviously, a key spot in the game, given the weather, with the game becoming official, that the Nats were able to take that one nothing lead. And then Abrams, in the bottom of the seventh, a two-out infield single on a grounder that went off the Cardinals starting pitcher, Miles Michaelis. So, you know, we've been waiting and hoping for Abrams to get going. It's too early to say that he is getting going, but he ends up having one of his best series this season. CJ Abrams, this is a well-timed good game by him because you and Mark talked about the other day, he's another few bad games and a one for 20 stretch from maybe we should send him down to Rochester for a little bit. So uh, the pressure's on CJ right now because, I, as you said, the results haven't been great. There's been a very evident amount of evidence so far that power might not be there. And so I uh, want to see what happens there. Him hitting a home run, getting one in June, I thought a very encouraging day if you are paying very close attention to the shortstop situation, of course, for the Nationals. You just want to see positive signs. You know, no one is saying that C.J. Abrams has to be putting forth an OPS in 950. I mean, it would be lovely if he did that, but you just want to see advancement. You want to see progress, and we haven't been seeing that here. So, you know, maybe he is getting going. You hope like heck that he is. Davey Martinez, during his postgame presser on Wednesday evening, talked about how uh, C.J. Abrams has been working with the Nats hitting coach Darnell Coles. And maybe things start to pay off. I mean, it's very simple with C.J. Abrams. He needs to keep playing every day, and you just need to hope that things turn around. And you just need to hope that the C.J. Abrams of August and September is appreciably better than the C.J. Abrams who we have seen uh, so far this season. And uh, that's what just, just what you got to lean on, you know, that these struggles will be paying dividends later this year and obviously in the coming seasons. But it has been rough. Like, we're not going to sugarcoat things here. Like, he has been one of the worst hitters in the majors so far this season. But he had a good series against the Cardinals, had a good day on Wednesday. Also having a good series against the Cardinals and also having a good day on Wednesday was Luis Garcia. So Garcia, over the three games in this series, four for 11 with a triple, two doubles, a two-run single, an RBI sack fly, and an RBI ground out. Garcia on Wednesday, two for four with two leadoff opposite field doubles off the left center field warning track in plate appearances in which he was down in the count at one point, 0-2. These were like basically two identical hits in two identical plate appearances. This is rather odd. But Garcia in the Nats, one run six, a leadoff opposite field double off the left center field warning track despite having been down to the count at 1.02. And Garcia in the Nats, one run eighth, a leadoff full count, opposite field double off the left center field warning track, despite having been down in that count at 1.02. 
So we came into this season talking about the five potential building blocks for the Nets. Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, C.J. Abrams, Kbert Ruiz, and Luis Garcia. We have spent a lot of time talking about Gray and Gore and Abrams and Ruiz. We really haven't talked much about Luis Garcia. Garcia now, uh, for this season, has an OPS of 721. He has a batting average of 283. He has an on-base percentage of 314. He has a slugging percentage of 407. I think he, for the most part, has played a solid second base. I think he's had a decent season. He's not overwhelming you, but I actually think he's doing a pretty good job. And if you're doing the compare and contrast of the three young potential building block position players for the Nats, Garcia, Abrams, Ruiz, you can make a very good case that it is Luis Garcia who is having the best season among those three players. I don't even know if you have to make the case. I think it's pretty obvious when you look at it. Just think of how much further Luis Garcia is in his career compared to a year ago. I don't remember exactly when. I believe he was called up June 1 to play shortstop in the bigs, and then two months later was when C.J. Abrams, the trade happened. He moved to second base. Fast forward to right now, C.J. Abrams seems to be settling in as an everyday second baseman. This is one area that looks like might be on track for the Nationals. I know it's been a bumpy rebuild. So I'm glad you pointed out all this Luis Garcia stuff because we're sort of taking it for granted. But I like the numbers and I like the season that he's had so far this year. He's taking a step forward, which we do not take for granted with this team, with the way that things have gone for some of these players. So it is good to see that. And, uh, you know, he has stayed healthy. And he looks so much more comfortable defensively at second base as compared to how things were at shortstop. And, you know, you'd like a little more consistency with the offense. But like I said, I mean, the overall numbers aren't great, but they're not bad. And you can certainly work with what he's doing. And if things get a little bit better as he gets older, then this guy could really develop uh, into a nice second baseman for the Nats. And then Jamer Candelario, he on Wednesday, one for four with an RBI double and an RBI ground out. Uh, Candelario in the Nats, one run six, an RBI double to center field on a ball that went off the glove of uh, Cardinal center fielder Tommy Edmond as he was uh, attempting to make a diving catch. The RBI double put the Nats up 2-0, although uh, Candelario was thrown out in his attempt to stretch the double into a triple and yet another instance of the Nats making it out on the base pass. We also in this game had Lane Thomas getting thrown out on an attempted steal of second base. But, you know, I I noticed this uh, during the day on Wednesday. The Nats actually tweeted this out, and it does check out. Jamer Candelario, believe it or not, entered Wednesday number one among all National League third basemen in wins above replacement per fan graphs for this season at 2.1. That might surprise some people, but Candelario, number one among all NL third basemen in uh, F4, at least in terms of entering play on Wednesday. So he's doing a good job. We talked about Trevor Williams as a potential trade ship, Joe LaSorsa as a potential trade ship. It may be that Candelario is the most viable of the uh, trade ships on the Nats. He's playing for him on a one-year free agent contract. This season is his age 29 season. But, you know, off the disappointment of Nelson Cruz last season, off, I think in a lot of ways, the disappointment of Dominic Smith this season, although, you know, as I point out, it's a little complicated with him. He's hitting for no power, but he does have a pretty good on-base percentage. But Candelario is doing a pretty good job. Off the slow start, he's having a nice season for the Nats, and they should be able to turn him into something come the trade deadline. I'm confident in saying that Jamer Candelario will be playing in the 2023 postseason. Let's put it that way. I also think he's making a real viable case at third base to sneak into Seattle next month, but I know that a lot of things are at play there. 
That's the positive. I'm going to focus on the negative, though, with him, Al. And I thought that RBI double that you mentioned where he was throwing it at third, I thought that was really low IQ baseball right there. I don't know if it's him or Gary DeSarcina. No reason to try and have him stretch out that double to triple. Makes the first out of third base, which we know is a cardinal sin, right after two consecutive line drives for the Nationals in the inning there where it looked like they were maybe going to put St. Louis on the ropes, especially when you factor in the weather. And then a footnote to that, same thing with the Lane Thomas steal. Why is Lane Thomas stealing while it's wet out in the fifth inning just after you got some momentum with the home run? I thought that was ill-advised as well. And so very nice to get the win. But today, two instances on the base pass where you're reminded that this is a losing baseball team. Yeah, and that sloppiness is on display pretty much game in, game out. It was funny to me with that Thomas throwout on the attempted steal. So bottom of the fifth, he has the two-out single to the left, then gets thrown out in the attempted steal of second base. Lane Thomas was basically sliding in the mud that was the infield dirt. Like, if you want a snapshot for how whacked out the playing conditions were at Nationals Park on Wednesday, the Lane Thomas fail on the stolen base attempt, I think, is a pretty good snapshot. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, we all know what summer means. Uh, Summer means baseball. Summer usually means more home runs in baseball, but uh, summer also means heat and humidity and your energy bills being rather high due to your air conditioning working extra innings. It is time to beat the heat with Window Nation's summer sale. Save thousands of dollars with An outstanding offer. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years. Plus, Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. All you have to do is call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Increase the value of your home by up to $12,000. Hey, make your neighbors jealous. Who doesn't want to do that? Again, the Window Nation summer sale. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years. Plus, Two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And this goes for any style of window from Window Nation. 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Right before the end of the Nats season in late September, Bruce Springsteen is coming to Nationals Park. If you're trying to find tickets to the concert, check out the Game Time app. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. The 0-2. Hill hits a ground ball toward the hole. Deep at short, it's gloved by DeYoung. The jump throw to first is not going to be in time. And that'll be a base hit for Derek Hill. An infield single. He is one for one as a national. With a ground ball to DeYoung deep in the hole. And the Nationals have a speed burner on base with that one-out single. So I mentioned that Nats on Wednesday afternoon placing Carl Edwards Jr. on the 15-day injured list. He was not the only Nat who was placed on an I.O. on Wednesday afternoon. 
The Nats on Wednesday afternoon did put center fielder Victor Robles on the 10-day injured list with what has been labeled back spasms in the lumbar spine. So he is back on the 10-day IL. He was on the 10-day injured list May 8th, retroactive to May 7th until June 16th due to back spasms. So, you know, this is becoming an injury plague season for Victor Robles. We talked about him at length on the previous installment of the podcast. Robles in the 9-3 loss to the Cardinals on Tuesday night. Did go two for four with a couple of singles, but he did not look like himself due to the ailing back, and he got into that heated dugout exchange with starting pitcher Mackenzie Gore. And the Nats on Wednesday afternoon, as the corresponding roster move to placing Robles on the 10-day injured list, selected the contract of outfielder Derek Hill from AAA Rochester. Now, before we talk about Derek Hill and him being the call-up as opposed to Alex Call, which I think is really interesting, Davey Martinez, during his pregame press conference on Wednesday, talked about Victor Robles. And we have talked about the way that Victor gets talked about. And there very much seems to be a green light on the Nats to smack Victor Robles around, okay? And as I've said, he has warranted the criticism, so much of it, that he has gotten over the years. But man, I know this stood out to you. <laughs> the way that Davey talked about Victor Robles during that pregame session with reporters on Wednesday. We've been talking to him for years about playing deeper. It just you know the, the numbers we get indicate that he's a much better center fielder when he plays deeper. Two is I really enforced it this year because of the fact that we I don't even want him running into the walls like he he does because of these issues. You know, so I'm trying to keep him healthy. So he felt weird being that deep. We didn't ask him to play as deep he was playing yesterday. There was a number that we gave him. We showed him specifically where that should be. Uh, he chose it upon himself to go that that deep. Uh, so. So this is something that we'll, we'll work with him when he comes back. Uh, but I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to save him. It's going to make him a little bit better. You know, what we try to do here is what we do with all is try to take away the slug, which tends to beat us quite a bit. So we want to take that away. And if, if we can't get to a ball in front of him, then typically it should be a base hit. But we keep the ball in front, keep the ball playing order. I thought that was really interesting, Al, right there. Very frank comments. Uh, usually Davey is really buttoned up in supporting his guys. And as you said, you know, the green light, open season a little bit on Robles. Clearly, they are so frustrated with what happened last night with the miscommunication. Davey really, I would say, went out of his way to pinpoint that and usually does not. I don't know if it's throwing someone under the bus, but it probably is as I think about it. And that to me was really interesting. And I listened to all the pregame pressers and this one was different than normal. Yeah, there is a frustration with Robles. What I think is always so tricky is, okay, so we hear the comments that are made to reporters and made in these pressers. We don't know what's happening behind the scenes. Are Davey and Robles at each other's throats behind the scenes? Are there attitude issues behind the scenes? You know, when the doors get shut, what is going on between Davey and Victor? But there clearly is some kind of a disconnect there. I don't know how you look at it any other way, because you don't hear Davey talk about other people the way that he talks about Victor Robles. And, you know, I think it's tricky for those of us who are fans of the team, for those of us who are observers of the team, because you don't have all the information. All you can go by is what you hear and what you see in these games. What we see in these games are repeated mistakes by Victor Robles. There's no doubt about that. So to sit here and, you know, play the violin for Victor, I don't think is the right approach. At the same time, it is kind of odd how he gets pummeled by Davey and by others. You know, again, what happened with Mackenzie Gore on Tuesday night. But nobody else ever seems to suffer the same fate, even though we have seen countless mistakes by countless members of the Nationals, past and present, 
these last few seasons. So, you know, it's impossible to ignore that. And it's hard to ignore that it doesn't seem to be all, uh, you know, smooth and kumbaya between Davey Martinez and Victor Robles. But, you know, part of it may be, you know, the idea of like, to whom much is given, much is expected. Like, Robles is a talented guy. The team would like nothing more from Victor Robles than for him to revert to the 2019 version of himself. And so maybe it's just that this team so wants him to be good and so sees in him the possibility of being good that the team is hard on Victor Robles. You know, that could be in play here as well. I certainly think that Davey wants Victor to be great, but there clearly is a frustration from Davey with Victor. So I mentioned this guy, Derek Hill. He now is playing for the Nats at the major league level. He now is back at the major league level. He had played for the Detroit Tigers previously. So Derek Hill was a non-roster invitee to 2023 Nats spring training. This is his age 27 season. The Detroit Tigers took Hill with the number 23 overall pick in the 2014 MLB draft out of a high school in California. And he was the Nats starting center fielder on Wednesday Hill in this 3-0 win over the Cardinals as uh, the Nats starting center fielder, number eight batter, one for three with an infield single. He, in the bottom of the third, had a one-out infield single on an 0-2 pitch on a grounder to Cardinals shortstop Paul DeYoung deep in the hole. But speaking of things that are hard to ignore, you just sent down Alex Call. We just saw Alex Call play a whole lot of center field for the Nats during Victor Robles' first stint on the 10-day injured list with the back issue. I think it's very telling that the Nats go to Derek Hill and not Alex Cole for this second stint of Victor Robles on the 10-day I.O. I agree it's telling, but I was really happy to see it. Let's see what Derek Hill has. You know, he has speed. That jumped out to you immediately upon his first plate appearance. His OPS is over 900, so there might be a talent here. Start of the year in Wilmington, just a handful of games, goes to Rochester. So let's just see what else is coming up in the pipeline and maybe this guy overperforms, obviously a critical position. And one note, while we're talking about center field, Al, while talking about Davey Martinez and Robles, I do also want to say that it is concerning. This is a back issue now. You know, I don't know how long Robles is going to be out for. Like, is he going to be back by September here? Because obviously he was put on, what, the 10-day IL at first in May. That was a month. He's barely back and already at it. Just want to add that to my Derek Hill answer. Well, when you see someone go on an injured list for a second time off him having just come back from the injured list, he probably ain't going to be back off that second stint on the injured list anytime soon. I would not be anticipating him coming back after 10 days. I think it would be surprising if that happened. I would love to see him come back after 10 days. But yeah, this back thing seems like quite the thing. And You know, he was out for a while. I think that's what is especially troubling about this. I mean, again, the dates here, and dates are key. Robles' first stint on the 10-day injured list with what were labeled as back spasms ended up being May 8th, retroactive to May 7th, until June 16th, a month plus on the 10-day IL. He comes back, and here we are less than a week later, he is back on the 10-day IL. That's not how you draw that up. And that is a little concerning. The labeling of the injury has been altered. Initially, back spasms, now back spasms in the lumbar spine. But this would seem to be more than just, you know, spasms in the back. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if this is something chronic. I don't know. Certainly wish him the best. Certainly hope that he gets well soon. But yeah, it it is a bit troubling. And you probably could end up not seeing Victor Robles play in the majors again until well into the summer. I mean, we'll just have to see. And with that, Al... 
to ping pong it back to Derek Hill, is Derek Hill going to be the starting center fielder for months at a time here? You know, we haven't seen this position without Call and Robles for a while. Obviously, Lane Thomas has settled into the corner spot. So center field, a lot of question marks this summer now for the Nationals. Yeah, it may be you sort of, you know, plug and play, plug and close your eyes and just hope for the best and try to get to the end of the season. I mean, I suppose if James Wood does very well, you could call him up to the majors and maybe have Wood play. I know he's played a little bit of center field, but maybe play a corner outfield spot. You put Lane Thomas in center, but, you know, (laughs) we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves there. But how do you not think about these things uh, with the way that things have been going for the Nats? All right. uh, A few additional thoughts on the Masson stuff that we talked about on the previous installment of the podcast. So I actually had on my podcast, the Al Galdi podcast, for the episode that comes out on Thursday morning, episode 600, in fact, uh, the person who broke the big mass of news from Tuesday evening, Chelsea Janes, national baseball writer for the Washington Post. So I would certainly invite anyone who wants to learn more about the mass situation to check that out. We on Wednesday during the day had a big announcement from Monumental Sports and Entertainment, which is the outfit owned by Ted Leonsis and the outfit that owns uh, the Wizards and the Capitals and the Mystics and Also, NBC Sports Washington. NBC Sports Washington is being rebranded as Monumental Sports Network. The rebranding will take effect this September. This isn't surprising, but it is another sign of what Ted Leonsis is trying to do. He's trying to establish this big-time regional sports network for which he needs programming, which is thought to be a big reason for why Ted wants to buy the Nationals. There's also this with all of this Masson stuff, and we hit on this a bit on the last installment of the show, but I think this is such a key stat that I do want to read it into the record on this podcast here. So that report that came out from the Post on Tuesday evening included this. Masson, according to the research firm S&P Global Market Intelligence, has 3.3 million subscribers this year. That's down from 5.6 million in 2018. So in a period of five years, Masson has gone from 5.6 million subscribers to 3.3 million subscribers. Now, not stunning. Everyone's aware of the phenomenon that is cord cutting. But I think when you quantify it like that, I think what's so interesting about this Masson dispute, Masson situation is Masson may end up being obsolete. And thus, the Masson dispute may end up being obsolete because the regional sports network model is fading, is crumbling. And I don't know if the RSNs are going to go away, but it sure seems like the paradigm is shifting, especially with baseball and especially with what's been going on this season with all of the RSN stuff and MLB and what seems to be the long-term goal here of just having people subscribe to their teams via MLB.tv and get local broadcasts that way. So what's kind of funny about all this mass and stuff is here we now have maybe a sign of some sort of a resolution with the Orioles agreeing to pay the Nats the money owed for 2012 through 2016. And yet it may not really matter that much anymore because the whole RSN scenario may well be changing as we know it. And so I think that that's a key thing to keep in mind here. Okay, a few things to that, Al. One, that just even further complicates the 2017 to 2023 numbers that they still have to figure out, right? So you're talking about 2018, sharp dip in subscribers. So what formula they use to calculate 2017 
they're absolutely not going to be using for 2021 and 2022. So I'm really even further emboldened that this is going to be years down the road just hearing that. Next, our listeners who are history buffs, please email in what the analogy is to what you just laid out with how Masson's taking forever. And by the time they solve it, we've moved on to the next iteration of entertainment and technology. So there's something there, but uh, we'll find out from our listeners. And then finally, Al, what Ted Leonsis is doing is very clearly what probably the future is for local sports in all major cities with multiple teams. You know, this consolidation where you have this nimble network that could probably fit on television, but could also fit on streaming and also could fit on YouTube TV. And clearly the next model in a post cable TV world that we are headed in, in some capacity. Yes. Although I think what is not ideal and what is not good is that when you have a network that is owned by the team or owned by teams, what you get is uh, less than totally objective coverage. And I'm not saying that as a shot at anyone who works for NBC Sports Washington. There are a lot of good people there. I know a lot of those people. But, you know, consider this. The Wizards have agreed on this massive trade of Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns. Because the trade isn't official, the trade has not been talked about on NBC Sports Washington. So, like, what is that, right? Because the network has to treat itself as the team and the team isn't going to talk about something that isn't yet official, you on the network of the team don't have discussion, don't have coverage of, don't have analysis of one of the biggest things to happen with the franchise in years, this trading of Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns. And so something like that to me is problematic. Lots to be thinking about. We always enjoy hearing from you on this stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, we'd love to have you on board. Uh, hit up Tim Shover, see what we can do for you, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We have a website. Check that out, NatsChatPodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Next up for the Nats is this makeup game against the National League West-leading Arizona Diamondbacks at Nationals Park on Thursday afternoon at 105. Jake Irvin will be the Nats starting pitcher. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the music of the Nats Chat podcast. Visit timnewmark.com. For Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. Frankie coming set. He deals. Swinging a ground ball. Off the glove of the diving third baseman. Bregman and down the line. Headed toward the corner. This one goes all the way to the corner. Center racing for third. He's going to try to score. He will. Robles digging for third. He slides in with a triple. Nationals are on the board here in the fourth inning. Robles lashed that one by and off the glove of Bregman all the way into the left field corner. It's now the Astros 2 and the Nationals 1. And the Nationals fans are on their feet. They love it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.